Jesus Christ is our pardon for sin. He is our eternal peace with God. And this was the hope of the first advent. And our hope as we wait for the second coming of Christ is that we would have our eternal peace with God and that that would be face to face, that we would one day see him by sight and, and no longer live by faith and no longer live in the presence of sin. I am looking forward to that day in hope. This morning, our study will begin in Genesis chapter 15. We'll observe the verses uh, 1 through 6 after we uh, seek the Holy Spirit's help in the grace of the Father as we pray. Please join me in prayer this morning. A gracious Father in heaven, by grace you have given us faith. Give us grace in the Holy Spirit now, Lord, to understand the text we're looking into this morning. We ask that Christ and His glory be magnified in our hearts. Fill us with the peace of knowing our salvation is soon coming to completion. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as you are able, would you please stand as we read uh, the Word of God from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is God's word. Y'all may be seated. The promise in the garden... As we saw last week from the Proto-Evangelion, as we, as we uh, saw that, the first gospel, the first promise of hope, as we saw that last week, the promise in the garden is that uh, there was a Satan-crushing son. He was going to be born of Eve. And at this point in our passage, he has yet to come. See, it seems like this is impossible of, of what God has said, that there was this, this one born of Eve was going to come and crush the, sa- the, uh, the, the serpent. Because the first of her progeny, Cain, he, Cain, he brought an, uh, an offering and it was rejected by Yahweh. So maybe perhaps his younger brother, Abel, is the promised one. Yet it was not to be because Cain kills his younger brother. Birth after birth, the stain of sin was on the people who were born in the image and created in the image of God. Peace with God had proved only to be temporary. There was failure after failure on the part of the people of God. And this led Yahweh later, as you know, to, to flood the world, declaring, I, I'm going to start over. God had made a promise to Adam. And so God, still being true to his promise, that through the seed of mankind would come a sinless Savior. This promise was renewed after the flood through Noah and his family. And yet still, 
Noah and his family, bearing the image of God, distorted that image through their sinful actions. It appears in the text as we keep studying this that, that, that the curse is greater than the promise. Time and time again, those who were born of Eve fail and they're sinful. And they get to the point where sinfulness is so rampant that God says, I'm going to start over. And he gives his promise to Noah. And then Noah is kind of the same kind of guy. Like, he's the same kind of guy. And things are, are, are kind of going this way. It seems as though, like, this curse is greater than the promise. The question is, in the hearts would be, maybe, is the serpent really going to win? Would sinful man thwart the promise of God? Yet God remains true to his promise. And again, he renews this promise to Abram. If you turn with me to chapter 12 of Genesis, we'll we'll look at verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. So in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the promise again that from Eve's seed would come one who would crush the serpent, who would pay the price for man's sin. In Abram, the seed promise was given once again. And Yahweh calls a man aged 75. And he says, all right, leave your land and I promise you that through you a line will come. And, and through your line would come the garden's promise. The garden's promise of one who would crush Satan and remove the curse of sin from mankind. God bless Abram and his family with possessions and land. But the curse of sin brought God's promised family to an exceedingly sinful land. You know, as, as the story goes, and he goes into Sodom. And God destroys the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but declared Abram and Lot and his family righteous, and he spares them. Once again, God gives the promise of the one who would be born to Adam's family, the one born from Adam's family, Abram. One who would be born from Abram, who would defeat Satan and remove the curse. Look at Genesis 13, 15 through 17 with me. For the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. Verse 16. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about through the land, its length, its breadth, for I will give it to you. Though land and possessions and God's protection in troubled times were a great blessing to Abram and his kinsmen, The great reward still seems a bit far off and humanly speaking, impossible. 75 years old, I call you to go. I promise you that, that the, that you're, you'll be so productive that, that the dust of the earth is, is, is the metaphor I use to say how many will come from you. For the promise was that Abram would be rewarded with a son. And it's not just any son, but a son who would be a savior to a multitude throughout the world. The promised seed of Adam 
Abram's uh, multi-great-grandfather. I don't know how many great-grandfathers he removed he is. But this promise that was made to Adam is renewed through Abram. And he promises him that the one is coming who would defeat Satan and who would save God's people from their sins. Yet Abram, leaving the land to follow Yahweh, that he began this journey at 75, and where we pick up in our passage today, he is now 85. And Sarah is roughly 74 years old. So here's this promise, right? That the number of your descendants will be like the dust. There's so many. I'm going to bless you with family, and through you, all the world will be blessed. Could you imagine Abram and Sarah going, yeah, right. I'm 85. She's 74. But we're going to see that Abram had faith. Abram believed God. Let's look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. So in this chapter, we have a, a treaty between Abram and Yahweh. God had made a covenant promise to Abram. In the previous chapter, in chapter 14, Abram's nephew Lot had been captured and Abram goes out and he, he rescues him and he rescues his friends and he brings them. And Abram was offered this great reward from the kings of the earth, from the king of Salem. And Abram refused to receive anything from him. He was on the earth in the presence of kings and they were offering him this reward for his faithfulness to go after his rescue mission for his own family. And yet Abram uh, remembered his oath to God. In chapter 14, the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear you would say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except the young men, uh, what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Anar, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their share. Abram now in our section is in the presence of Yahweh. He was once in the presence of the earthly kings and they offered him reward. And he says, no. He says, no, I made an oath to my God to, to, to get my reward from you. Not my reward from the world. My reward is from God. So he remembers his promise uh, to Yahweh. And in verse 1, we see God's assurance of his covenant love for Abram and for his people. The primary purpose of his love was that through Abram's seed, the love of God would be extended to a multitude, to a large uh, number. God's love, though, as we see in this passage, God's love is specific. It's pointed. It's pointed toward the people that he chooses. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. We should notice this, that Yahweh calls Abram by name. He sees him and he says, you are mine. I call you by name. You belong to me. Out of all the heads of all the families of the earth at the time, it was Abram whom God called. 
And Yahweh begins his communication with him with fear not. Fear is not for those with whom the covenant has been made. Fear is not for those whom have trusted in the promises of God. Fear is for those who are outside of God's promise. He says, do not fear, I am your shield. Saying to Abram's heart, you are mine and you are in my safekeeping. I am your God and I am God to you. Fear not. Thirdly, Yahweh says, as a God to you, I am your protection. But further yet, I have reward for you. Not like the reward of the kings of the earth that you rightly <coughs> that you rightly refused. My reward for you is eternal. More than a rewarder of blessing, I, Yahweh, am your reward. I am your reward. I'm giving you myself. That which was lost, which was intimacy with God in the garden, I'm giving to you. See, the King James gets at this passage rightly, I think, and clearly in 15.1, it says, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So this is a question to ponder. Is Christ Jesus your reward? Do you treasure him? Or do you merely treasure the benefits of Christ? Do you say, I don't go to church because there's no one in my age group. There's no one in my same socioeconomic demographic. One person said that they needed to attend a different church. I'm just telling you things that people have said to me. I need to attend a different church because there are no cycling enthusiasts in this church. Okay. And another person told me that they needed to find a church where they did more than teach from the Scripture. It's Bible this and it's Bible that. I need something different. Well, if Christ is your exceedingly great reward, then how will you choose a church? If Christ is our reward, we will choose a church that's not the one that's closest to our affinity group, not the one that's closest to our stage in life, not the one that's closest to our status in society, but we will choose a church closest to Christ, closest to the Bible. And what he's getting at here with Abram is, I am a rewarder. I have future reward for you, but I have a reward right now and it's me. I am your exceedingly great reward. And as we think about Christmas and gifts and all of those things, right? We think about the gifts of God and sending us his son, right? He is the gift. He is the great treasure of our lives. We treasure Him. Everything else is like icing on the cake. He is the treasure. He is the thing that we want. And a lot of times we, 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 we praise God for His gifts and forget to praise the giver of the gift. The giver is our reward. And so thus He is saying to Abraham, Abram here, He's saying, in the future, there are future rewards for you. Blessings are coming. But you have something of your blessing right now. You have me. I am yours. I am your shield. I am your protector. I am with you. You have an intimate relationship with me. 
I have chosen you out of all the peoples of the earth. I have chosen you to be with me. I have chosen you. I am taking you all the way to the places you need to go. And for us, as we think about who Christ is, for He's taken us all the way to heaven. He's taken us all the way to the promised land. In the, in the last half of this chapter, which we're not going to do today, but seven, uh, verse 7 and beyond, you see, first he says that, that he's going to be a blessing to him. He gives him the promise of the Savior, the promise of the Son who's coming with him. And then he gives him a promised land. This is the future reward. I'm giving you a, a, a Son, a Savior, and then I'm going to give you the blessing of heaven in my presence forever. Right? That is the promise of this passage and the promise of Christmas for us as we think about this season of Advent. Now we get to the complaining of Abram. Verses 2 and 3. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Abram and his wife, they long for a child. Abram has a burden in his spirit. God has promised a child, and that promise has become his life's passion. He complains that he has no child. He complains to God. It's as if he's complaining, I'm never going to have one either. You made me a promise, and I trust in your promises, but you haven't given me a child yet. I'm 85. My wife is 74. I'm never going to have a child. The language is such that he's saying, I am going, I am going childless. I'm going to continue to go childless. I am old. I'm 85. There's not much chance. I trust in your promises, Yahweh, but at my age, it's impossible. His complaint further says, if I don't have a child, I have nothing. If I don't have a child, I have nothing. This is his mindset. If I don't have a child, I have nothing. Because we think, as you think about what he's saying here, one will come forth that I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. I have nothing if I don't have a child. I have no legacy. I have no, there's no future for my family. I'm going to give it all away to somebody else. If I don't have a child, I have nothing. Everything that is mine will not live on. I'm going to leave it to someone else. Well, listen to the grace of God as God responds to the complaint of Abram. He's not complaining about God. I want us to get that. And it's okay for us to complain about our lot in life to God. It's probably not okay for us to complain about God, about what he's not doing, about how he's not providing, because he always does, and he's good, and he always does good, right? But there are things in our life, passions, things that God has promised that we, we, we want to hold on to and they, they're, they're not, it's okay to complain about your position in life. And so here he is, he's complaining about his position and God graciously answers him in verse four. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body and he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Yahweh answers Abram's complaint with grace. He first assures him that his legacy will not be handed down to another as he fears. 
Secondly, uh, the promised seed will come from your own body. He assures him of that. Thirdly, he expands upon the promise of chapter 13. Remember uh, verse 16. I will make your descendants as of the dust, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Here, he says, Look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. He expands on the promise. Your descendants would be as the number of the dust. But here in verse 5, he takes him outside. He points to the sky and he says, Your descendants in the earthly sense will be like the dust of the earth. But greater still are those who will come from the seed of Abram. They will be as numerous as the stars and as glorious in splendor as the heavens. I'm going to raise up from you a spiritual family. A spiritual family in the heavens. They will be as numerous and as glorious as, and, and, in, and in splendor. They will be like the stars of the sky. From Abram, the whole family of God will come. So I ask us today to contemplate this. Are you from the seed of Abram? Are you a son or a daughter of Abram? All who are counted among the redeemed of God are Abram's seed. How so, you might ask. You might say, I am not an Israelite. Well, listen to verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. By faith, Abram laid hold of the promise of God. He believed God. He trusted in the coming seed who would crush the enemy and save God's people from their sins. You see, even Abram believed in Christ. There's only one way to salvation, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. And Abram here believed in Jesus Christ. He had faith in Christ. Right there, faith in the coming seed, faith in the promise of God. He looked forward to the day when the seed would come about, but he had faith. And everyone who has that same faith is in Abram's family. He believed God for himself personally as well. He believed that God would give him the sons of the earth that would be too numerous to count. He believed that God would build the spiritual house as large as the host of heaven would be built through him. He believed in the coming one. Faith in God led Abram to reject the gifts of the kings of the world and to trust that God is the rewarder and that the greatest reward that God gives is himself. It is that God is with us. Think about how Romans chapter 4 talks of Abram and his faith. In Romans 4 verses 19 through 21, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in the faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured of what God had promised, he was also able then to perform. So he believed and trusted in the promise of God, the one who was coming. He had faith in Jesus Christ and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He was justified by his faith in Christ. I love that. 
Because as we think about our Christian life, sometimes we are like Christian doings. We are like, we are like human doings rather than human beings, right? If I do this and do this, then I'll get favor from God. No, you have favor from God in Christ Jesus. You are now being that which God created you to be. Just be. Just have faith and trust in Christ. Just be. Be a human being, not a human doing. And, and think about this, being justified by faith. The scriptures are, are full of these texts that tell us that we are justified by faith and faith alone. In Christ alone. Romans 4.3 says, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Galatians 3.6, even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It is God's grace that declares us righteous by faith. And as we celebrate um, this Advent season, we look back on these Old Testament examples of the people as, as they were anticipating God's great reward, right? They were looking forward to this day when the son would be born. And yeah, they got it wrong a lot. And they thought this son who was going to be born was a different kind of son. But ultimately, they were looking for this Christ, this king who would come, this one who would come and crush Satan. And their great reward, the great reward that they were looking forward to is, is the Emmanuel, God with us. Our reward, God with us. And we, as we sit here today, we think about uh, looking forward to the second advent when Christ will come. We, we anticipate his coming. And we say, even so, Lord, come, Jesus, come today. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We want the Lord to come back today. We are looking forward in faith, trusting that Christ is coming again. But this time, we don't wait for God to send a Savior to pay for the penalty of our sin. Because we know that that has been paid. Because Christ came. Christ came and He died for our sin. And God raised Him from the dead, making Him Lord over us all. And the, the penalty of sin having been paid. But we await the return of our Savior, our King, to take us from the presence of sin forever. Oh, I look for the glorious day when I won't be in the presence of sin. When it will not be any, I won't be in the presence of it at all. But what do we do while we wait? What should we do? What, what, what do you think we ought to do as we prepare for this Christmas season? We have two more weeks until we celebrate this season. I was listening to the radio uh, earlier this week and it's the spirit of Christmas on Sirius XM, right? So they've got some kind of funky Christmas songs going on. But anyway, so they were interviewing the, the, the artists about the upcoming Christmas season. And she, the gal actually said this. She said, we look forward to the season because it's an excuse for our family to get together. I was like, okay, I guess. Do we not look forward to the season so that remember that the penalty for sin was paid? That God promised a son to be with us? A, a son who would pay the penalty for our sin? He, he was born to die 
And we look back upon that birth and say, oh, praise God, the penalty of sin. Is that not the reason? But what do we do as we prepare uh, this week and next as we look forward to celebrating Christmas? And what do we do as we prepare for the second coming of Christ? And I think I would remind you that maybe today or this week, read and apply Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. What if we prepared our hearts for Christmas that way? If we understood that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation in Christ to all who would believe. And that knowing that, that the instructions of the Holy Spirit of God in us is to deny ungodliness, to deny worldly desires, to live righteously and godly today, looking for the hope of His appearing, of the glory of God and, and, and our Savior in Christ Jesus. Those who hope in Christ as their reward will spend these days purifying themselves in the power of God's reward for us already. God's reward is the Holy Spirit of God in us. He has given us a great reward. Jesse and I were talking uh, earlier this week that we, we, we kind of forget one thing. And that is this, that God has given us all that we need for faith and for practice. He's given us everything we need. He is our exceedingly great reward. He came. He sent His Son as He promised. His Son died for our sin. He raised Him from the dead and enthroned Him in heaven, and He sent to us gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the gift of His Holy Scripture that we might know Him. We have all that we need for faith and for practice. What a great reward we have from our Lord Jesus. And I pray for us this week as we celebrate Christmas that we celebrate in this season that God has given us a great reward and that He is our exceedingly great reward. Let us take a moment of silence to ponder the Word of God uh, delivered to us, to grab a hold of the promises that God has given to us, and uh, asking the Lord uh, what might I need to give up that I look that is, that, that, that is a response to my blessed hope? What way in me is ungodly? What things have I held onto in my worldly desires? What worldly desires do I still have that pale in comparison to the reward I have in Christ? Let's ask the Lord to do that work in us as we prepare our hearts to commune together.